Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his beautiful creative friends. Today I am talking to my friend Michael Ian Cohen, who's a director from New York who just made a beautiful movie called Humanity Stoked that I am in, along so many epic people that you will find out, including Tony Hawk, Neil deGrasse Tyson, tons of pro skaters and beautiful people all talking about, you know, our wounds as humanity and how to overcome them as to make the world a better place. This is going to be a beautiful two-hour conversation with a beautiful human being who's done a beautiful project. You want to sit through this one. So, enjoy! for having me sir chris yeah it's an I, honor hell yeah man it's a are you well rested i am well rested as you know just got back from uh, a big screening with a wavescape in south africa in cape town yeah so big 16 hour flight to atlanta and then down here but um how was that these, it was amazing super restful accommodations <laughs> i'm staying with chris at his uh, his beautiful place here and um, super cool, so I'm grateful. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I'm well rested. Well, we well when I got this place, I was like, I need a, a solid guest room, and then yeah. this place had like a guest apartment, you yeah. know, like just a humble room with its own bathroom separate from the house. Yeah. Then you get to just like you know have your own private spot and rest well. So I'm happy it's getting used because usually I, yeah. I just have it empty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. How was uh, South Africa? South Africa was was a, a really special experience. My whole life for five years have been one special experience after another since Humanity Stoked uh, began production. Uh, but yes, yeah, South Africa is a beautiful country. The people are super friendly. And the areas of Cape Town that I was in uh, was, um, you know, huge surfing community, skating community. Um, I, I went e-foiling in this, in these, this beautiful Hout Bay where there were dolphins kind of frolicking. Like I just, the water's ice cold. There's, there's beaches right near me that are covered with penguins. Um, so it's very deceiving. You look out and it looks very tropical and the water's aqua blue, but Uh it's ice cold. You definitely need a wetsuit. Um, but the festival was Wavescape and the main sponsor of that festival, uh, is Van South Africa. Um, so they, I was treated like family. And everyone in that Wavescape festival, uh, in particular Steve Shooter and, and Shani um, and Spike, who started it, all all great people. Um, so just friends for life now. So yeah, a great, wonderful experience. So cool. And now here with uh, 
Mr. Chris Dyer for well, the Sarasota Film Festival. We're in um, St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah. That's where I live. And your next stop is Sarasota, which is like an hour away. Yeah. Uh, how is this tour for your movie? It's, it's kind of funny. I never really thought of it that way. As I travel the world, I just came back from Germany. And yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sort of on tour. Yeah. Um, You're like a rock star, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. But, you know... I can't control the, the, your perception of me. <laughs> How long has it been since your movie started touring the film festivals? Uh, it's been just over a year, almost almost to the week, uh, with our premiere in Tampere, Finland, um, which is another amazing experience. Came back from Tampere, Finland, um, and I'm very grateful because they they paid for us, flew us out in conjunction with the U.S. Embassy in in um, in in, uh, in Finland and. Uh, an amazing experience. Also, huge skate community mm -hmm. in Finland. A massive skate community. Also super friendly. Also treated us like family. I uh, went out there with myself and Ian Gibson, uh, the, the DP for the second half of the project, who, who became our editor and our colorist. Um, and uh, I actually, I, I'm going to put the word gave in quotes. I gave Ian a co-writing Credit. I put it in quotes because um, it wasn't a gift. You know, when you're editing a documentary of this size, even though I conceived of the film years before I met him and started, was in production for a year before I even met Ian, um, as you're editing a doc, you're kind of tweaking and retweaking and creating the narratives as you go along. And so I feel strongly um, that an editor of a doc, especially of this nature, deserves a, uh, a, a co-writing credit. Right. You know, for years, I'll just keep tweaking the narrative and trying things and tweaking things. And so uh, I've been blessed to have Ian on the team Shout and uh, my Ian. first DP, Nick Lang, uh, who's also an amazing friend and, and a great DP. Nice. So in this year of, of touring and doing film festivals, where is where a movie gets uh, seen, chopped around, you feel out the vibe of a public. You've already won how many awards? 12? Yeah, we just won our 12th uh, film festival. And the 12th was a unique win for us because it was all of our wins have been for like uh, best feature length documentary. Um, and uh, either either most of them were jury prizes. Um, in, in New York, we actually uh, won the jury prize for best doc and the audience favorite award. So that was a really special experience. But the 12th was a win for best director, which just, oh. yeah, did not expect that. Uh, that really blew me. That really blew me away. I'm just very uh, humbling. As weird as it is to say, you would think, oh, well, you know, that'll just inflate your ego. It's strange how that works. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, just really grounding uh, for me to receive that. Well, congrats, Thank and, you. I, and, Thank uh, you. and I hope that as you make your way back home to New York, that you feel proud of this year of touring mm -hmm. and sharing this uh, soul expression of yours. So tell me about this soul expression of yours. Humanity stoked. What is that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I will say this, just getting back to the other thing, just um, we've made the official selection of, I think, about 35 film festivals around the world. Okay. Obviously, I couldn't attend all of them, um, but I attend the ones I can, and um, 12 wins so far, I think, in, in, uh, in seven countries. So, um, And we'll be in this film festival circuit probably through June or maybe July. Hope to announce uh, a big distribution deal 
by the end of this this cycle that's the goal but um so what's humanity stoked is a great question um humanity stoked feature length doc that i'm honored to have you uh, a part of as i'm honored to have you as a as a as a, a dear friend i feel like a movie star now man you not feel like you are, <laughs> sir. You are own it, own it. Yeah, I got um, I, I got the the least lines, but that, that's okay because uh, that way there's less room for me to put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> so yeah, it's something we're all we're all uh, accustomed uh, uh, to do once in a while. But as I said to you, and it's amazing because you'll be at the screening tonight. You'll see the film for the first time. I, I can't wait to see it. Like yeah, I can't yeah. believe we're doing this yeah. interview and I haven't even seen the movie. Yeah, it um. You do, you don't have a lot of speaking lines, but you are in one of the most, if not the most emotional sequences of the film, and you have a lot of screen time. Um, and you do, you do have some speaking, so it's, uh, you, have, you have a unique spot in, in the film, which you'll see. I don't want to give away too much. People will um, be like, what's his accent? <laughs> but what, okay, so what's the movie yeah, about? When sure. you invited me, I thought the movie was about skateboarders who make the world a better place. Is it yeah. still about that? Nope. Okay. So you thought that because I told you that. And then, um, so what and happened You lied was, to me. I did. <laughs> I lied. I lied. I'm, hey, I'm a real liar. <laughs> um, so yeah, in 2017, in the middle of 17, I reached out to you. And um, at the time, I thought that's what the film would be about. I would go around the world and uh, interview uh, people involved with skateboarding that are doing just spreading some goodness, doing good things, change makers in a positive way. Um, and the film changed completely. And I'm glad it did. Um, it's a very poignant reason why, as, as you know, we'll get into. But um, yeah, I don't know that that film would have been particularly interesting to a large group of people. But due to a tragedy, which you know about, that really canceled our trip to Cuba where we first started filming, um, and then interviewing uh, Rene LaCour um, in Cuba um, about what happened and how Amigo Skate, his charity in Cuba, got started, um, impacted me on a very visceral level. Um, extremely emotional situation. Um, and I, I won't really give it away, so I won't, I won't talk about what it is. People will see the film and they'll see it. But when I came away flying back from Cuba in January of 18, after having filmed with you and Arturo O'Farrell and, and Chuck Treese and Rene LaCour and all of these, the, the kids of Havana, you know, uh, the skaters there, um, I realized that the film that I was making, Humanity Stoked, I, I needed it to be something very different. And what it became um, as of that kind of epiphany on that flight was um, a film primarily about understanding fear and how we we allow fear to guide our hands, how we allow fear to affect our perception of reality, how how it affects our ability to think critically and make decisions for our own lives and, and really limit what we do with our own lives, limits our ability to build a life that's that's purposeful and has that's satisfying so we can live with contentment. And it is about many human challenges that are ramifications of fear from all types of xenophobia, uh, homophobia, um, racial inequality, gender inequality, um, depression, addiction, um, what we're teaching children, the education system, the importance of art, uh, which is a dear subject to you, uh, and music, which is another form of art in public education. 
Um, and even it's hard for people to sometimes understand how some of the environmental damage we're doing is a result of fear, but um, it, it absolutely is to a very large extent when we explore that in the film. And so it's, it became a film about these uh, human issues. Right. And the, the cast is uh, about 75 of the world's most iconic professional skateboarders, scientists, artists, musicians, activists, um, all of whom share a love of, of skateboarding and humanity. But the film is not directly about skateboarding. There's plenty of skating, you know, B-roll in the film, but it is about these human issues and how we have the ability, whether we realize it or not, to positively impact our own lives and positively impact the lives of people all around us from a community scale all the way up to a, to a global scale. Super beautiful. But it seems like it is still a movie about skateboarders making the world a better place. The only thing that you, you shifted is that instead of like a very linear, uh, here's uh, uh, Tony Hawk and his foundation helping these kids. Right. It's more about like, why is Tony Hawk helping his kids? What is his trauma? So you're, you're almost like addressing yeah. the trauma, the fear. Why would we have tr fears? Because we got traumas. So it's like, right. hey, everybody, may you be the coolest skater in the world or, or whatever, the coolest person on top of a pedestal. We all have traumas. We are all vulnerable. And we got to address this, this root of the problem that creates all, all the issues of the world to yeah. become healers as opposed to become further traumatizers. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we're really not really talking at all, other than initially in, in Cuba, in, in Act 1 of the film as it transitions to Act 2, we do talk about Rene LaCour's and Kaya LaCour's charity, um, Amigo Skate. Um, but that's really the last time, even though many of the people in the cast are involved in charitable organizations, some of them have their own, we don't talk about it really at all. We're just mm -hmm. talking about people's personal experiences with these human issues mm -hmm. as, as they are relatable uh, to everyone. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what gender you are. I don't care how you identify yourself. I don't care what age you are, what color you are, what religion you, you, you subscribe to, if at all. Um, if you are a human being on earth and you come to this film there will be things in it that are relatable that will resonate with you and very likely at some points in the film quite deeply in, in a meaningful way and so um yeah i realized coming out of cuba that i can make a doc about anything anyone can make a doc about anything but even if you make a doc about a subject people care about I don't care how well you make the doc, if it's not going to resonate with someone on a visceral level, mm -hmm. it's just another hour and a half of your time, you know, right. sitting in front of a tube. So yeah, to try and make a film that resonates with people deeply was really what I, what I tried to do. That's the only way to move people. Right. That's the only way to really connect with people is if, if, if you can get to them on that, that visceral, emotional level. Right. Because once again, you stop making the movie about the what are they doing? And you turn the movie into why are they are are they kind people and the what are they doing? It's you know interesting. Okay, they got a charity or they're right, philanthropist, right. and that is another reason to put these 
mega stars on pedestals like oh not only yeah. they're huge but they're kind wow yeah. more reasons to adulate them but instead they're saying like no the why is because i feel like shit and yeah. everybody feels like shit to some degree like even yeah. the coolest person in the world has a wound yeah. and probably the, the the biggest people in the world they got big wounds that they haven't even addressed but because they've been too yeah. busy being the shit which probably even aggravate like makes the wound worse because the whole world puts you in a pedestal and inside you don't feel like worthy of it yeah so you feel like an imposter so i think this movie is important uh may it be about skateboarders or not but actually skateboarders are supposed to be these like super cool tough perfect people so for them to be all like actually no we're all really just a bunch of losers with wounds and here we are making ourselves yeah. vulnerable damn like that's like almost like the opposite of what skaters do yeah i I could I couldn't agree with you more. I have personally gone through like an explosive period of personal growth. One of the things that were key in that happening is accepting my own vulnerability, and I'm so grateful um, for the for this this cast of, of of seventy or seventy-five people for having just met me. I didn't know when I started this film. I had never met a pro skater, even though I've been a skateboarder since I was uh, you know I don't know seven years old. I've been a skater my whole life, but. Um, to have people trust me enough to accept their own vulnerability in an interview, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for because uh, people do have these expectations or these preconceived notions of people. And I'm, I'm, I've, asked, I've been asked often, you know, who surprised you most during the interview? And I, I can tell you, um, nobody because I tried so hard not to have any expectations about who someone was, what they were about, what their experiences were, what their, their perspectives were, because I, I know from my own experience and just, you know, being educated that when you have preconceived notions of people and you have expectations of people, you tend to project that upon them. It would affect the questions I asked. It would affect the conversations we had. And I didn't want to do that. I wasn't there to get something specific out of someone. I wanted to sit down with each person and have just a open, honest, vulnerable conversation. If I knew it would make editing an extremely daunting task because I would be left with, say, we did a total of 110 interviews. Uh, each was generally over an hour long, some much longer. Um, so we would end up with many hundreds of hours of footage. I would have the ability to, to pull and create all, so much in terms of the narrative, although, you know, I just knew it would be a really difficult challenge to do, but I would have the most flexibility to create the most honest and compelling uh, film. And that's what I did. You know, a lot of times during the interview, you know, things became emotional. Sometimes I was emotional. You know, I'm breaking down in an interview and, you know, looking back, it probably was beneficial in that, you know, if people see that I'm okay with being vulnerable in a conversation, and maybe they feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit safer being vulnerable themselves. Right. And so, but the, the beautiful thing is, the important thing is, is that um, virtually every Q&A, every live talk I've done after a screening at a film festival, there are multiple people that come to me at the Q&A in the theater, uh, maybe like at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, you know, a place in town later, they may catch me even on the street um, or uh, just slide into my DMs, you know, in the following days uh, that are in tears 
people just come up and give me, literally just give me a hug or want a hug and letting me know that they're so grateful because something in the film made them feel okay with with accepting some part of themselves and, and talking about it. And for someone who may have a hero in the film, whether it's, it's Tony Hawk or Liz Yamato or anyone, um, to see that they too have had these struggles. And especially in certain parts of the United States and in other countries where, you know, it's, other countries means other cultures where, and in many places, it's still really difficult for men in particular to be okay with having feelings without being told that it's emasculating as if that's bad anyway, you know, um, and that they have such guard up and for them to be able to see that it's okay for their heroes, their masculine heroes, for example, um, as they see masculinity and what that means to them, to see them okay, you know, breaking down and being okay, then it makes it okay for them. It's sad that they need to see that to accept themselves, all of the parts of themselves, you know, um, but if that's what it takes, then it's an honor for me to be able to, to, to provide that, that catalyst for them to accept themselves a little bit more and be open a little bit more with themselves and with people in their lives. So it's, that's a great honor for me, you know. Beautiful. Uh, as an artist, I resonate a lot with, with what you're saying and what you're doing because as an artist, I try to be very honest and vulnerable. And that's where I've been able to connect with my audience the most. Like, you know, as an artist, I can put my image of like, look how cool I am. Look all these cool things that I do. But what really grabs people's attention is the days where I'm like, you know what, guys? I feel bad today. I feel stressed out. Yeah. I live in a paradise, yet still I can be unhappy. And how can I deal with that? And then people who might put me on a pedestal might be like, oh, shit, like Chris is a human like myself. Yeah. What a great gift. So what you're doing with your movie is you're giving like, you know, 77 people all making themselves vulnerable. And that perhaps came out of your own resonance and your own ability to be vulnerable. You've created a, a, a platform or a, or a place or you're holding space for these super cool people who spend their whole life to show how cool they are in their insecurity, perhaps. Uh, to actually drop down their guards and be vulnerable. And that's such a huge gift. If everybody could just kind of like drop the whole like, hey, I'm cool, please accept me kind of vibe and just yeah. be like, hey, I'm cool, sure, I love myself, but I don't need your validation to, to make me cool. I can be comfortable with myself to know that I'm cool, even though I'm also like a broken human being that's working to repair. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think what you're talking about is unfortunately this kind of mutual exclusivity people feel about things and about themselves. I'm either this cool person that has my shit together and I've got no fucking problems and I'm fucking great or I'm this you know, pathetic, not where I want to be loser and that's not how things are. They're not that simplistic and it's certainly not how people are. You know, People are complex. They have complex lives. They have a complex array of feelings and emotions and you could be both sometimes multiple times on the same day. Right. Um, and that's okay. I, and I, 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 think, I think the world would be a better place if more people uh, are, are more comfortable with themselves, right. um, good or bad, and to give themselves the space to just be who they are without trying so hard to protect themselves, trying so hard to be yeah, something. And... It's, it's when you let go of that, I found... 
um, it's just extremely liberating right. to just let go sometimes and accept accept yourself, you know, for all, with all your flaws. Um, and some days it's easier to do than others. But I do know that once you start letting go, once you start um, just letting that weight fall off you, it becomes more second nature and um, you're a healthier person for it. Mentally, physically, emotionally, depending upon how spiritual you are, spiritually as well, um, you become a healthier person mm -hmm. and you become a happier person. You know. So th this this movie is kind of like going to the psychologist in a way, or you became the psychologist yeah. to all the characters in the movie, and by people observing that process, it helps with their own psychological process of accepting themselves with their ups and their downs and letting themselves be. And I find if we can all just kind of like calm down a little bit, uh, not have to conquer over anybody in order to feel good enough, and yeah. just like I accept myself, I accept you. We all said that no one has to like, you know, push each other to be like myself in order for me to feel okay. I think the world would be yeah. a lot better, especially on the on the political side. All these politicians are just a bunch of like insecure human broken beings that are trying to find this acceptance of their power or, or their comfort. And if they were just balanced human beings, they would go out there and be like, hey, I accept myself, I accept you. Let's go out and make everybody feel good and loved and make yeah. sure everybody has what they need. Yeah. That would be a way better world, but it starts with the humans at the bottom and may that medicine spread. Yeah, completely. And you mentioned something too about, you know, um, you know, psychology and being a, a, a psychologist for people. I'm like, I'm glad the film can help people open up. I am a big uh, advocate for being okay and seeking professional help. You know, t talking to anyone is helpful, is cathartic. And sometimes when you're talking to someone, whether it's a professional or a friend, a loved one, you know, whatever, sometimes just the process of speaking helps you really understand yourself better. But yeah, in terms of professional help, uh, yeah, a huge advocate for it. I, five years ago, before I started the film and, you know, coming in out of 16, 2017, I was in like a, a, a terrible depression and um, I don't, I don't know you know, how much longer I would have been in it than I was if I did not seek professional help and, uh, you know, get to a, a, a therapist on a, on, a, on a weekly basis and have my sessions and get to talk and help myself work through these problems with a professional. It's just super helpful. And as I travel the world at, at these festivals, because one of the segments in the film deals with mental health, deals with depression, deals with suicide, um, deals with self-harm. Um, and uh, in a lot of uh, places in the United States and certainly around the world, it's also, there's still a lot of shame involved in acknowledging that you need help, professional help, whether it's medication or whether it's just talk therapy, whatever it is, you know, um, yes. And, and again, especially it's worse for men in many cultures. It's, it's what's okay for a, a woman to do in, as it's perceived by men it's not okay for men to do because that, like I said, is if it's this horrible thing, that's quote unquote emasculating, whatever that may mean to them. That's not something that a man uh, should do. That That's a, um, how should I say? It's seen as like a, a weakness. And right. that's, that's just a fucking shame. It's that's a, pathetic. It's a fucking situation, dude, because yeah. like, say, I grew up in Latin America. Right. And Latin America has those walls of what a man should be right. way thicker. And if you dare to break out of that, 
it's kind of like you know you can be ostracized by by society itself if yeah. you break out of that box of what a man's supposed to be and it's hard because you can leave your country and go to a new country where things are chiller but still that's so ingrained in your brain by like your family and your friends and and it takes a lot of work to to get out of it and really accept yourself in whatever uh place of the range of who you are yeah um as for going to talk therapy a psychologist therapy uh you know psychotherapist psychotherapist yeah, yeah. Um, I used to go as a kid, as a five-year-old, because I was a fucking, you know, tornado of a kid. And my yeah. parents would take me to these people and they try to fix me and they couldn't. And I had a bad relationship with, with that. I think they tried again as a teenager because, like, they just couldn't figure out why I was so wild. And I never really, like, went back to that style of healing. Right, right. Because I got great friends. You know, I got great partners. I got very wise friends that I can have very deep conversations. And I'm a uh, very much a big communicator. I always share my feelings. I'm a very honest and, uh, you know, and I can find my healing through talking to my friends. Right. But this year, I had a, a, an Instagram contact, Melissa, the spiritual misfit. And she's like, hey, will you accept this gift of, uh, you know, doing coaching or therapy sure. with me? And at the beginning, I was like, well, I've been doing my therapy through like ayahuasca and plant medicine. That's my psychologist, right, this right. interdimensional you know, higher being that comes and like reflects to me all my yeah. ways and how to improve. And then I learned through that. But I was like, so there was a pride in me like, oh, I don't need another human to tell me how to be better. Like yeah, I should yeah. know how to be better. And then I was like, Chris, put your guard down, try it out. Yeah. You know, and I've been doing these weekly conversations with her and she's very lovely. And really at the end of the day, she just makes really great questions yeah. that I have to be the one answering and finding the answers and great reflections too like have you seen it from this perspective yeah, so it's yeah. been very helpful too and it does carry on to my life like sometimes i'll have a situation and be like oh yeah she told me that when negative thoughts come into my brain maybe i should like write them down and observe them and see you know where it's coming from if it has any value sure. if it's you know if it's bullshit and i can just dispose of them so it's been very helpful yeah and i appreciate that and uh, I hope that everybody like uh, does their work, and I hope that this movie stimulates people to go out and do their work. Yeah. So thank you for this. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. One thing you said reminded me of something that one of the one of the people in the cast said. Um, a dear friend of mine, uh, someone who became many of the cast members, I'm fortunate to have become dear friends with in the, in the years since the since it began. Yourself, one of them. The one I'm talking about now is is uh, Brian Anderson, and in the film he talks about the value of having to be honest with yourself because you could go to all the therapy you want, you can go see a psychotherapist five days a week for two hours a day, like a you know, and but if you're not going to really be really not just honest with yourself, I mean brutally honest with yourself, you're wasting your time, therapist time, you're wasting your money, you're just not going to, you have to dig down. Um, that's the only way for it to be effective. And depending upon how, how, what the issues are, you know, inside you will determine how deep you have to deep. Because there's a lot of people in this world, um, 
that are on a path. They're not even sure why they're on a path. They're, they're working so hard, whether it's to, they think they want to make more money or they need this bigger house or they working hard at a profession. It's not even making them happy. Like I, I, I'm sure all of us uh, know someone that may be a, a lawyer or whatever, or they're, they're in corporate law or they're in business or doing something with their life and like they're just, they're just not happy and they question whether they've made a terrible career path choice and um sometimes you know you you start on a path when you're young or at any age and the longer i find that someone's on a path the more difficult it is or the less likely it is for them to then question it because if you're doing something for you have invested 12 years of your life in for you to change course and course correct, even though from that point forward, you're going to be better, you're going to be happier, you have to at some point acknowledge to yourself, even if it's indirectly, that you've made a mistake and that you may have quote unquote wasted the last 12 years of your life, even though it's not that simple, you know, it's mm. not one dimensional. And no one wants to admit that they've quote unquote wasted, uh, even if that's just a false perception. They don't want to admit that they were misguided for so long. And so it also requires you to accept the fact that you're imperfect and you make mistakes. And sometimes you make big lasting mistakes, but it's like, what, you know, what are you going to do? Just yeah. keep putting, you know, investing time in that mistake. And the longer you do it, the hard, the less likely it is you're going to, you're going to course correct. So I encourage people so much, um, to, to really be okay with just saying, just fucking stop, stop what you're doing just long enough to think about it with an open mind. And, but in order to do that, getting back to some of the things that, that the film is about having to do with fear, you have to let go of fear because you mentioned like being ostracized before, and that's a big fear. And I think it's helpful to understand that this is not, it's not just an insecurity that makes people afraid of being ostracized or embarrassed or humiliated. This is, a result of hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary biology. We are the descendants of frightened fucking people. Many years ago, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, there were beings, humans, not, you know, um, not current humans, but um, primitive man, primitive humans, Neanderthals being one of many, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, in the, in the line of, of humans. But there were people that weren't afraid of being ostracized. They weren't afraid of freezing to death or starving to death or being mauled to death. What those people did was froze to death. They were mauled to death. They starved to death. What they didn't do generally was live long enough to reproduce and pass on their DNA. The people that, you know, especially back then, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, going alone was like a death sentence. You know, you needed to be in involved in your tribe. That's how the, that is this tribal mentality began. We evolved with the tribal mentality. The people that stuck together and worked as a team, they survived. They passed on their DNA to us. And, and so um, we are programmed genetically to be afraid and not want to be ostracized. And when you understand that, it's easier to, to say, okay, I can now hack this system. These are fears that are ingrained in me through evolutionary biology, but they're not applicable anymore but we're still programmed so now even though now getting ostracized just means maybe we're going to be embarrassed or maybe we'll have to lose some friends or we'll have to make some new ones but it's still 
uh, this really visceral fear. And the, the example that I use to, to help people understand how real this is, is the common fear of public speaking. Many people most perhaps are afraid of public speaking. If you have ever, um, if anyone is, is listening uh, to this podcast and have had to do some public speaking, you will recognize this because it's so funny to me. You're about to go up on stage, there's a big podium, there's dozens, maybe hundreds of people in the audience. And even though you know, worst case scenario, there's no jeopardy. You're not gonna be harmed, you're gonna be fine, you'll get in your car after with your air conditioning or whatever, you'll go home to a fridge full of, uh, a fridge full of food, you'll be fine, there's mm -hmm. no jeopardy. But yet as you walk up, it's literally like you're facing a tiger. Your heart is pounding, you're sweating. This is the irrational fear, the Life irrational physiological lives. reaction you're having that's a result of, of, of evolution. We were evolved to have that fear of being ostracized because it could, it could be a death sentence back then. Because you get kicked out of the tribe if you're not making the cut. Yep. And then, then see how you make it alone. See how you're going to hunt and survive and protect yourself without the help of your tribe. And so, yeah, that's a, a really good example. Think about how your body, the, the, your blood pressure, you're pounding, you're sweating, even though you're not actually in danger. And that helps people understand how real this, this evolutionary biological process is and how that affects us now. So, mm. um, it, it, it's interesting, but we yeah. can, we can, we have to be smarter and, and allow the knowledge of that to help us get past those fears. And then we could, then we could move forward in directions that we would otherwise never have the courage to do. You know? Right. Wow. That's so, so interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely none of us want to be kicked out of the tribe. In our case, <laughs> we're skateboarders and there's so many ways to be the wrong kind of skateboarder in the case of Brian Anderson a gay skateboarder you yeah. didn't see many yeah. uh you know uh my friend josh love who i used to sponsor fruit creation skateboards he right. recently came out about right. his boyfriend and i was like wow that's so beautiful that more pro skaters can now go out there and, and show who they are without yeah. any fear i love how the world's evolving and being more accepting one step at a time you know right. um and to reflect what you were saying like Sure, you could be living the wrong life, being a, a lawyer or a politician instead of a writer or, a, or an artist. But right. even if you do choose to be an artist, you could be, um, or an artistic person, you could be doing it from the wrong intention. You could be like, oh, I'm gonna be a musician and an artist because I wanna trick people to like me yeah. and, and then I can find uh, you know, the love for myself through their love instead yeah. of doing it at like, this is just who I am and I'm gonna share my love to feed the world. Instead you're yeah. doing like some kind of like trick to find the love instead yeah. of just loving yeah. yourself for who you are. Yeah, That's a, a, it's, it's true, it's a trap. You, know, you can get caught up in wanting the adulation and the acceptance not, you know, because that just makes you feel good. That feeds your ego and, and uh, that's always a trap. No matter what you do, that's a, that's a trap. And it's something I'm aware of. I mean, I try so hard not to have ego. But look, I'm, I'm a human being, you know, to say I have no ego, that's just, that's fucking ridiculous. But to the contrary, it means I have to be more mindful of it and make sure that when I'm, I feel like I'm driven into a certain direction, I want to do something that um, I try and look at it and say, what's my motivation is this because, you know, this is some type of ego boost or is this because this is going to serve some purpose that's beyond myself?
that'll that'll provide some goodness or inspire some people. Right. And sometimes sometimes both, both are in the mix. Yeah. You know, it's like you have yeah. to be honest with ourselves. And so um, to just try and keep some balance, like everything in life, yeah. balance is generally important. Moderation is important. Yeah, um, it, it, it's yeah. tricky because say in positions like. Uh, being an artist or, or a skateboarder, you still got to make your cool points because that's <laughs> what makes your business work out. Yeah. If you're not cool in the eyes of the world or at least cool enough to, you know, to bring some kind of revenue so you can pay your bills and continue doing your thing, yeah. that's no good neither. You, you still got to keep yeah. it up, but you no. got to make sure you don't fall in the trap that, you know, oh, if I do this, people think I'm cool and then I'll feel good about myself. You can yeah. be like, hey, I feel good about myself, but yeah, I'll still show my cool things yeah. so I can keep on doing this yeah. and make people happy the, in the end. The danger is it's like there's always shortcuts in life and um, there's a price you pay for them sometimes. They're not so obvious, but feeling good about yourself through you know, public adulation is a shortcut, but it's not real. So the second it ends you're suddenly craving more of it. It's like a never-ending thing. And when you find if you could feel good about yourself because of who you are, you're not subject to that those highs and lows and, and you have a more balanced kind of a position that you're coming from. Right. But, and there are guys in the film that talk about that, like Tony Alva um, also went through a period of explosive growth. And he self-admittedly was like an egotistical ass. You know, he was he talks about it all the time that he's ego, he said in the film, as he said... Uh, plenty of times like ego was running his life and he was just arrogant and he just wanted to be the coolest thing he wanted everyone to think he was the coolest thing but you know it's not sustainably fulfilling and uh it's not healthy and, and it, so, can, yeah. it can turn in a second too like as much as people put you on a pedestal and you're the coolest guy one day you can make a mistake and the next day eric can just hate you and then you gotta be like I'm still the same person. Do I deserve to be loved as, you know, the coolest guy or hated like the worst guy? Right, right. At the end of the day, you still live inside yourself and you're the one who should judge where you're at in your process. Yeah, yeah. And because when you go to sleep at night, you know, your, your quote unquote fans or, you know, whoever your followers or whatever, whatever your shit is, you know, they're not, they're not there with you. You got to wake up in, in the middle of the night and you're there with yourself. And if you don't, you know, create, a version of yourself that's authentic and worthy of love from yourself, you're constantly going to be chasing it from others. And that's going to really guide your hand. That's going to set your path. And who wants to be chasing that shallow uh, sense of, of satisfaction and sense of self? Yeah. It's just a... But so many of us do. Yeah. And especially in this era of social media, phones... Uh, likes, instant gratification. Anybody can all sign be a famous person for any random activity. Yeah. And then they're chasing that like, oh, where's the people liking me? Where's the people liking me? So it's almost like uh, back in the day, it was only a few selected people who really shined. Right. They became famous. They were public. And then they had to deal with the, the ups and downs of being a public person, the psychological yeah. traps, the love, the hate, yeah. the, the growth. Now, every, almost like every person has a chance to go through that if they have something to offer, even if it's just for their group of friends, uh, you know? Yeah. So. I, and I, I struggle with that now because like, I never wanted to be on social media. And I personally am not on social media because I knew that that was not going to be healthy for me. 
but I have to have a big presence on social media now. And I, I encourage people to follow us. It's the film account, you know, on Instagram. We're on Facebook too, but I mean, you know, mostly our focus is on Instagram. But, and I encourage people to, to follow us at Humanity Stoked because that's my job is to promote this film. I made the film for it to be seen. And one of the key elements in having that happen and getting a great distribution deal and, and getting uh, recognition um, which is important if we're seeking distribution, is to have a, a strong social media following. So I'm grateful. It, we have a little under 15,000 followers now, which is organic, which is not a lot compared to, say, you know, someone like yourself and other cast members that have hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of followers. But it's astonishing to me that we do because we're a, a nonprofit documentary that's not even out yet. How close to 15,000 people follow us is uh, like astonishing to me. But, um, yeah, it's like if I didn't have the film, I, I probably wouldn't be on, on social media at all mm -hmm. because I see the toll it takes, the time it takes. And, you know, I, the, the Humanity Stoke posts that I make, for the most part, I try to make meaningful posts that are inspiring to people that are interesting. Some of them are, you know, we're trying to do some fun posts too and stuff. It's important not to take yourself seriously, like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I try and make the post meaningful, you know, when I can. And um, yeah, I, I have uh, ambivalent feelings about social media. It, there's so much in this world that um, is wonderful because of social media. But at, at the end of the day, if I were to think about what's the ultimate price society pays for social media and what are the advantages and the benefits of it, the disadvantages uh, overwhelm the advantages. And I see the, the damage it does to people's self-esteem, especially um, especially young girls. But it's not it's not specific to gender. It's young guys too, people of any gender identification. Everyone, you know, you could end up feeling inadequate for any number of reasons. Whether it's your your physical appearance, your intelligence, how deep you are, how clever you are, how funny you are. You know, it's like. You could, how advanced makes, you are in your career, how good your uh, art is. It's a fucking, yeah. it's a mind right. fuck. Yeah, you're talking about it, keeping up with the Joneses. It's like, there's the platform fucking for it. And the, the powers that be at, say, Meta, for example, that you know control a lot of the social media accounts, their algorithms are very, very clever. They're very advanced at knowing how to game you emotionally and how to keep you coming back from war and finding that sweet spot where you are literally a fucking pawn for them mm. you know people you, coming for you more are, maybe you like, good or not yeah you are the if you are on facebook you're on instagram and i'm not saying don't go on it i want you to go follow humanity stoke because you know we'll find out about the film you'll see the clips but you know the fact of the matter is you have to have balance because if you're if you have a social media account say with instagram you are instagram's product mm. you are the product you know, you're not their customer. You're the product that they then sell to advertisers. Mm -hmm. And they will game you as much as they can to make as much money off you um, as they can. And it's important to try and be mindful of that. Um, and so, yeah, stay on social media, but keep keep some fucking balance about it, you know? Yeah, be aware, be present. Yeah. Uh, don't let the chemicals win over you. Uh, notice when you're feeling good or bad 
about the comparisons that we naturally will make when we're seeing the best of everything in the world. Like we follow the best of, and yeah. then we would compare it with yourself. Yeah. And then you feel, as you say, inadequate or not beautiful enough. And it should be the opposite. We, it's good to be inspired by high levels of anything, yeah. uh, but you can't let that become a conversation of, oh, now I suck in comparison yeah. or my numbers are not doing good anymore. And that yeah. means I'm not, I'm not good anymore or, and etc. It's, it's a yeah. tricky video game. And I'm so happy that I only started doing uh, social media at age 26, 27. Yeah. Once I was already formed as a human being and I was already doing my thing, I cannot imagine being a 13 year old being trained by this phone and video game to have your whole life on like, look at me, am I good enough? Look at me, am I good enough? And compare, it's, yeah. it's tricky. One, one of the signs of intelligence or the, the hallmarks or traits of an intelligent being is the ability to recognize patterns. That pattern recognition skill is so important. And it's important to be mindful in life, including on social media, and recognize the patterns of what types of posts affect the way you feel about yourself and to choose the types of things you're doing on social media, choose the types of accounts that you're following mm -hmm. and be mindful of how it's affecting you in the immediate and in the, in the, the, the long term. And right. then be careful about it, whether you're limiting the amount of time on it or you're, you're, you're choosing more wisely the types of people and the types of accounts you follow and how you engage and be mindful of when you, you could easily, and I know every, almost everyone could probably relate to this, you'll recognize suddenly when the social media is controlling you. You're actually doing things in reality based on how it will be perceived on social media. And if you're at that point, you better step on the fucking brakes and put the phone down for a day, a week, a month, whatever, because you are then someone's marionette. And that is not a place where you want to be. Right. You know? This is a very important conversation because yeah. like the algorithm is a kind of intelligence that we could compare with the AI. The yeah. AI is a bunch of algorithms yeah. and it's become more and more sentient, conscious, but uh, smarter. Yeah. And we have to become smart enough to not let these Instagram or social media algorithms crush us yeah. because once AI fully comes to, to consciousness, it will treat us like it's little toys yeah. because they'll know which buttons to press. And we yeah. have to be really comfortable and confident in ourselves to not let uh, a computer control us. Like, yeah. it's important here. And a AI is not sentient yet. And I, at some point in, in the near future, it may be, and that's very scary. Um, but even if it's not, you know, the algorithms are still just written by man even though algorithms can be written by AI too, and that'll happen more and more. But it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether whether the AI created the algorithms or the programmers created the algorithms, they are designed to game us uh, on a psychological and emotional level. So yeah, we gotta be careful about that. And um, you know, and the things that we're talking about, we're, we're talking about not the dangers of social media, but right. all of the ways that this affects us are the, are the things that we're, we're talking about in the film too. Right. So I'm, I'm grateful that the film became a platform that, that, uh, that people can, can look at and then become more self-reflective and introspective about how things are making them feel, 
how they're treating themselves and how they're treating people in the world all around them. And so, mm -hmm. um, so know. let's go back to the film. Yeah, uh, sure. you were just telling me two seconds ago about people who are not living their real lives. Yeah. They they took the wrong career path and they're just running with it, and they can't seem to be honest enough to be like, oh shit, like I'm living not my best life and not living my real life. Right. And I want to live my passion, but I'm both scared to do something, you know, that perhaps is risky and also to come out and be like, oh, I wasn't really a lawyer all this last 20 years. Yeah. Now I want to be, you know, a, 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 you know, a magician at a kid's show. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. that happened to yourself too, right? You live in New York, you have a company, I believe, and all of a sudden you decided, I'm going to be a movie director and go about skateboarding and sensitivity. Yeah. Tell me about this whole process. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for people to believe. It's hard sometimes even for me to believe because now I'm asked to, you know, I'm flown here, we'll fly you there, come talk to these kids about getting over fear or talk to these people about how to be a producer or how to be a director. And I'm... I'm the ultimate, you know, 50 year old, nobody from nowhere. And if, if six years ago you had said that I would be doing what I'm doing now, uh, making a film or interviewing these people that were like heroes of mine when I was a kid, I would have you fucking committed to an insane asylum. It makes no sense because it's, it's astonishing, but as big as this film became and it's huge, um, to this day, I have never read a book or watched a YouTube video on how to be a filmmaker, how to be a director, how to be a producer. And I am no advocate for ignorance. Like I tell people all the time, if you can get the opportunity, if you can create the opportunity, get to film school if you want to be a filmmaker. You know, learn everything you can, read everything you can. For, for reasons I, I may or may not get into here, uh, but I'm always open to, um, I knew at the point in my life that wasn't the, the proper thing to do for where I wanted to get in the time frame I wanted to get there. Um, but yeah, so um, my whole life, since I was 12, 13 years old, there were things that I wanted to do. I had a love of skateboarding. I've been a skater my whole life. Started at like seven years old in New York. Um, I wanted to be in filmmaking, whether producing, directing, acting in front of the camera. You know, I, this was an art form. I don't know that I thought about it as an art form, then, but I recognized it at a very early age. Uh, when I was like seven or eight, my father took me to a movie. I don't know why he took me to this movie. Sadly, my dad's uh, no longer with us and I, I can't ask him. But at around eight or nine, he took me to see Dog Day Afternoon. This is not a, a movie you take your eight-year-old to. Um, if you don't know what it is, Google Dog Day Afternoon. Is that like about a, a bank hijack and shootings and stuff like that? Yep. And there was also, um, I think there was an implied uh, love affair between the two leading men, Al Pacino and, and his co-star. Ooh, I want to watch it. Um, Sounds fun. But it wasn't directly addressed, but I think there was like, there was an allusion to it. But re regardless, but I remembered that and a few other movies um, that impacted my life when I was younger, including Silver Streak um, with uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, which is why there's a clip of that m movie uh, in the B-roll of my film as I talk about in the documentary how movies affected me. Um, and I'm fortunate that companies like Sony, Sony Pictures and 
uh, Universal and Disney all gave us gratis licenses to, to use what we wanted to use. But um, yeah, I found that I was not coincidentally, not surprisingly, there were movies in my life that impacted me and the common denominator across those films were um, the leads were vulnerable, sensitive men. Mm. And I saw myself that way even as a kid as this, this sensitive kind of vulnerable emotional kid and so but I, yeah i knew i wanted to be in filmmaking and i knew i wanted to be a humanitarian i had no idea what that word was i didn't think of it in those terms but i wanted the world to be a more fair place because mm -hmm. i was i was bullied a lot as a kid um and the world didn't always make a lot of sense to me and i wanted to be a part of something that made it better but i never had the courage to do anything about it. So when I was in my 20s, I thought I would go to film school, uh, you know, next year, next week, next month, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, and ended up relying on kind of like a, like maladaptive daydreaming, which is just daydreaming to a level where it's unhealthy. It ends up being satisfying enough to prevent you from moving forward. And it allows this bad combination of, daydreams being satisfying enough so that the fears that you have of moving forward keep you right where you fucking are and i by the time i was like 48 49 for a number of reasons in my life i started slipping into a very bad depression it lasted about a year and a half and uh you know uh, i have two daughters even though they were like kind of older a, a little bit you know I, I couldn't kill myself i'm like you know i'm like so now what the hell am i gonna do and uh it was either die, which I wasn't going to do, or I was going to live fully. Um, I just couldn't continue living as I was living. And this is like specifically related to my career, my personal life, not what was going you know, interpersonal relationships or just as a career. You know, what was I doing? I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And I wasn't doing anything. And I had this fear that was justifiable not like the unjustifiable fears that hold us back and, and, and when they shouldn't, but that if I was lucky enough to be, you know, a 90 year old guy, I'd be on my deathbed and uh, filled with shame as I would, as I should be at that point, not for not having become the things I wanted to become or achieve the things I wanted to achieve, but because of never having the courage to even try to give myself a chance. And so as I came out of that depression at 50, I just said that, I am no longer going to let fear stop me from doing what I want to do. Not the fear of failure, which is a part of it, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's the fear of uncertainty, not knowing what steps to take. I, you know, so you just don't take any steps at all. And I, I talk about that in, in, in the documentary. And um, it got to the point where I said, I'm just going to start moving forward. And the things, there will, there will be questions answers of which I don't have that I will need to know, but to just have faith that I will figure those things out in time so that I'll, I'll, I'll be able to keep moving forward and just start doing it. I, uh, I bought myself a, a used camera, wasn't terribly expensive, um, and I just started reaching out. And one of the first people I reached out to was Mr. Chris Dyer. Oh, really? I was one of the first? Yeah, because, well, what happened was I I thought this was when I thought this film was going to be about, you know, traveling the world and, and going to these places and, you know, and, and talking about skateboarders doing 
good things. And I reached out to Michael Brook, who was the editor of Concrete Wave magazine. Uh-huh. And I said, who, who, who can I interview? Who do you think would be good? And he told me about Rene LaCour from Amigo Skate in Cuba. And so I said, great, I'm going to go to Cuba. And I wanted to make this free concert for the skaters of Cuba. And it would be part of the documentary we would do with Amigo Skate. And I knew that they were involved in music and art. So I needed an artist down there. So I started Googling around and I found you. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember I was coming back somewhere in Brooklyn. I mean, I'm from New York. And uh, I was in the car and I got you on the phone somehow, you know. And we started talking and I was telling you and I said, I want you to come to Cuba with me. And we were having this really kind of vibey conversation. And I laughed because you said to me, you know, you sound like this guy I know, very positive and this kind of vibe. And I'm like, who? And you're like, this guy, Michael Brook. And I just laughed because I was like, yeah, I know Michael Brook, the mm-hmm. editor of, of Concrete Wave magazine. And so in any event, so my plan was to bring down you, invited you to go to Cuba with me, and uh, which was amazing. Like, hey, you don't know me. Come to Cuba with me. I can't pay you shit. I will uh, try and get your airfare covered. That's about all I could do. Yeah. And I want to bring down an iconic skater musician. And that ended up being Chuck Treese. Uh-huh. And this uh, Grammy-winning Afro-Latin jazz composer and pianist, which Arturo Orfarrell, somehow, I cannot tell you how, only you would know, at least in your uh, example, I convinced all of you to go to Cuba with me. No one knew me from Adam the, like the week before. And uh, you all came to Cuba with me, and, um, and, and we started filming. So, yeah, I just bought a used camera. And the funny thing is, a week before I got on that plane to Cuba, I drove down to Philly where Nick Lang, who became my, my DP for the first year and a half or so of the film, and he literally showed me how to use that camera. I hadn't run sound before. Mm. I, I hadn't done any of this before. And I remember, like, setting up the camera. He was helping me, and I'm like, dude, don't just just let me do it don't show me i have to just tell me and let me do it i need to figure it out on my own you won't be there in, in cuba with me and so when i filmed uh renee uh his interview in cuba um uh, that was the first time i had ever conducted an interview and i just mm-hmm. set up this we use natural light for that interview but to, to run sound and and set up the camera and get it going uh, it was the first time I did anything. So right. it's kind of funny when I look back on it now affectionately at how green I was at the time. Yeah, it's just astonishing. And that, that interview, that first interview that I filmed alone with Renee, ended up closing out Act One and being an extremely um, um, emotional part of the film that resonates very deeply with people. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, I remember that cuba trip very fondly i waited for years before i went to cuba like i like for canadians to go to cuba it's very cheap and easy since like we don't have the embargo situation as the united states has they make it really easy for canadians to go i could have gone really easy but i wanted to go to cuba to do some service because i know they struggle uh my brother had been before and he had brought some skateboards to cuba and that always inspired me so when you told me like hey let's go to cuba bring skateboards uh you know to to the skate community of cuba uh paint them a mural teach uh a, a, a 
painting workshop, I was like, hell yeah, like I don't care about getting paid. Like that sounds like a beautiful experience. Right. And since you paid my flight, then I was like, wow, I can pay the flight for my filmer. Cause, for Ben. Uh, yeah. for, for Ben Jackson, who yeah. has been on this podcast. He's uh, episode number 10, if anybody wants to catch an interview with Ben Jackson. But that was the only time I was able to afford to bring my filmer on one of my trips, because at, at the time I was doing a, a video project called The Art Ventures, which was a traveling show. Sure. Uh, that's episode 28 is Cuba of us going to Cuba. Which and, I have a small we... spot in, a tiny little spot in. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. no, you're around. Yeah. I think yeah, I, yeah. I interviewed you. Yeah, yeah, in and... the casa, in the bottom of the casa. Right. In old Havana, yeah. So that was a really cool experience for me. I really yeah. appreciate it. I didn't know you were just starting your movie. I was just like, oh, he's starting his movie. But I guess yeah. once... <laughs> Once uh, you had Chris Dyer in your film, then everyone else right. lined up to get in there, huh? <laughs> just joking. If I if yeah. I if I would have known that you know all these big people like Tony Hawk and and Alva and Josoy and Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. and uh, who else is in there? Uh, Shepard Ferry, Chad Musco, Chad Musco, yeah. like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. If I would have known all those people would be in on that movie. I would have even been more stoked, but you know, you know, I got in before they got in, and then yeah. the movie, like you know, mushroomed into this yeah. really huge thing. Yeah. How did you get those big names in the in the film? So I'll tell you, but at the time, if you told me that any of those names would be in my movie, I would again be like, dude, you are on, you are tripping on something, bro. <laughs> but uh, before I answer that question, a quick shout out to Ben Jackson. Uh, ben, thank you. I just want to let people know. Ben came as like your filmer to do for your thing, like, you know, to Cuba. Uh, and uh, Ben was unbelievable. And I said, Ben, um, do you have any clips that maybe I can use? I might need some B-roll. Like you have another camera, you're filming stuff. And, and I thought that Ben would say, um, you know, give me a couple of clips or whatever. And just the, the kind heart of this guy, Ben, who's a great cinematographer, um, he gave me his entire memory card. He was just like, you know, whatever you want, just take it. Yeah. And uh, and of course, I credited Ben in the in in the film. Uh, of course, special thanks and, and listed him on uh, on the IMDb page and all this stuff. And so, well, I'm very grateful to Ben because in the scenes of the movie that you're in, including this very emotional sequence between the, at the end of Act Two, um, we're using some of the uh, of uh, some kind of some of the B-roll is from Ben camera and um also in the banger of the film the first like high energy like 30 second opener of the film there's a time lapse of you doing a mural in cuba not the mm -hmm. the emotional one um and that was also from ben's camera because i remember he was setting up with me his time lapse uh slr and i was like oh yeah so anyway shout out to to uh to ben, jackson. To ben jackson yeah thank you ben he he was my uh editor for the whole art venture series and then he started this podcast with me he did the first 40 episodes right. of the podcast wow. but once he was in montreal and i was in in the states it was just became uh, easier to work with local editors and now yeah. my girlfriend paulina is the editor yeah. so things keep on yeah. evolving but always uh, have him as one of yeah. my good friends, and I hope to see him in some future whenever yeah. I visit, or ben, when he visits yeah. me. <laughs> a couple of years later, Ben came to New York, and uh, he came out to Long Island, and, and 
we met Ben, uh, had dinner with him, and uh, went to we were at the went to Jones Beach, I think. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, it was nice to see Ben again. I hope to see him again soon. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, Ben's great, and he's a great skater too. That always would call me when I was in Montreal. Yeah. I was like, Chris, let's go skating. Let's go surf. He surfs the river, which is I don't want to jump in the Montreal dirty ass river to <laughs> surf, but he would jump all the time. He would go in fucking winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's fucking going like yeah. a, like so cold, and he's yeah. very motivated. But yeah, that Cuba yeah. trip was awesome. Thank you so much for bringing me. And yeah, tell me, once again, going back oh, to the yeah. questions, tell me, how did you first get yeah. Tony Hawk? How do you get Neil deGrasse Tyson? How do you get Shepard Fair? So like, one, of the, one of the most fascinating stories, entertaining stories, um, happens to be Neil deGrasse Tyson. Because Neil deGrasse Tyson was one of the people I wanted in the film very early on set. But I had no idea if he had any connection to skating. Because everyone in the film had to be a skater, former skater, or have some, there's only two or three people that aren't skaters or former skaters, but are so deeply connected to skating that they're in through that association. One of those people, for example, is Steve Van Doren, the van of vans. Um, he's not really skateboarding, but the, the, who, who are you going to think of that's more attached to the skating community than, than Steve? But in any event, um, I knew I would, Neil was a hero of mine. You know, I don't get, I don't get starstruck or I don't care who you are, whether you're famous actor whether you're Tony Hawk but I don't really give a shit about what you're able to do in terms of you know whether whether you're an athlete or you know you're a singer or whatever it is like for me I'm moved by someone's ability to impact positive change in the world Tony Hawk actually does that and well in particular uh, through inspiring other people who then go on to do other things that were so deeply inspired by Tony and there's a very significant example of that at the closing credits of our film this 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 like three minute clip uh comes on between tony hawk and this other cast member and you really get to understand and see the power that uh tony hawk had to inspire other people and how that ripple effect went and impacted hundreds and hundreds of children's lives but all right so in any event uh neil degrasse tyson this was the beginning, so again, I, I had no connections. I never met a filmmaker. I never met a pro skater. I did. I, so, I, how was how was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's team? I thought well, they were never even going to return my fucking email. Where would I even send the email? So mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I have to game the system. So uh, I'm always thinking outside the box. So I I designed this gorgeous longboard, gorgeous. It um, and on the bottom of it is uh, a picture of Tyson, like an observatory, and a couple of my two favorite quotes of his having to do with, for example, the importance of promoting and encouraging people to achieve something versus celebrating people that already have. Like, why aren't we doing the, the former versus the latter more? But in any event, I designed this beautiful longboard and it was the coloring of the purple and I made the wheels purple. And I'm mad. It was just like a piece of art, this board. And I sent it to the Museum of Natural History where the... Uh, the observatory, the uh, planetarium is that he's the chair of. And I, even the box for that longboard is crisp white lines, white, triple uh, corrugated. Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, this is not going to show up. Someone's not going to just let it sit in the corner of a room. It, someone's going to give it to Neil, right? And I put a cover letter inside and a little sand timer, a three-minute sand timer. And I'm like, Neil, if you, you don't know who I am, but if you... If, Flip this when you meet me, and at the end of three minutes, I'll get up and leave if you want me to leave. And I mm-hmm. thought, I was like, oh, I'm so clever. Like, this is <laughs> going to work. Neil will get this, and I will get a meeting with him. 
and I sent that off UPS to the to the planetarium at the museum, and then within two weeks I I hadn't heard back from him, and then within two months I hadn't heard back from him, and I never heard back from him ever. Okay. And I was so bummed. And after about six months of calling the museum and calling, and it was starting to create this negative energy. And I realized this, this chasing vibe was working against me psychologically. So I thought, I, I need to let this go. Maybe I'll find a way to kneel, or maybe I won't. But this is now counterproductive. Mm. It's not making me feel good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I still felt it was a good idea to do. And uh, I was still proud of the idea. All right, so in any event, Years later, the part of Humanity Stoke that has to do with environmental issues uh, and climate change and all this stuff, which is where I wanted Neil to be, we're now almost done. The editing, we're literally about to like picture lock, if you will, that segment, meaning it's done. We're now moving on in the editing process. And um, once that's done, you can't really edit it. Because like you, if something's done, you, you drop someone in, it, it affects everyone around it, and it becomes like this exponentially difficult just ball of tangled wire so i'm like that's it i guess i'm never gonna get neil and then out of nowhere in my dms on instagram this woman out in the midwest somewhere sends me a screenshot and what is it a screenshot of i didn't know this but neil degrasse tyson has millions of followers on his tiktok and he's he was doing a few days earlier a live stream to his millions of tiktok followers and he's holding my goddamn skateboard. And he's, I have the picture. I can show it to you if you want to edit it in. He's clearly talking about it. He's like gesturing about the skateboard. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, please call me. And she, she calls me. And I'm like, what, what, what is this? And she's like, yeah, he was talking about how when you're famous, people start sending you shit. And how someone sent him this beautifully made skateboard, but there's no cover letter. He doesn't remember where. Maybe it was lost and he doesn't know who sent it. Oh, no. But she saw the Humanity Stoke logo on the board. Thank God I put that on there and started Googling and found me. So I'm like, I'm freaking out. So I then start composing this letter to Neil. I'm like, I'm the guy who sent you the skateboard. I designed it. I want you to be in my documentary. And I sent you the letter. I don't know where it is. Blah, 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 blah. It was all, I was wired up. I'm so excited. And um, I wrote the letter, the email, but I didn't know where to send it. So I then put like a line break on top of my email. I then pasted that photo and I wrote to whomever you are, if you know Neil deGrasse Tyson, look at this photo. He was live streaming. He wants to know where it came from. I'm the guy. Please forward this email to Neil. And then I just sent that everywhere. Info at museum. Info at like Nat Geographic. I just sent it everywhere. I would go to to Instagram where I Google like Neil deGrasse Tyson images uh-huh. and see of all the pictures of people that he was with. And if I could identify any of them, I would try and find an email for them and I would send it to them. Wow. I just blasted the world with this fucking email. Wow. What and then I just Then I just crossed my fingers. And then about a week later, right in my inbox one day is a very long, personally written meaningful email from Neil from his own email account uh-huh. like mystery solved now I know and he went on to tell me how uh, he feels documentarians are the truth tellers and so important and he'd be honored to be in my film I- I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm on fire right now I'm like this, this is fucking crazy 
I can't fucking believe this. The, the, the idea from years ago, it actually worked. Not in the way that I had hoped, but it worked. I'm now talking to Neil. He wants to be in the film. And this was in the middle of COVID. And so he said, um, well, I, the interview will have to be outdoors. So we'll do it in New York in a few months. Once it warms up, it was still winter. And we'll do it downtown towards the lower part of Manhattan where he is. Um, and so now I'm faced with this really difficult challenge because, one, I need to interview him in the next few days because we're going to lock up. We're editing the, the, the segment. And so I write an email to him. I don't know if I'm going to send it. And it's basically, Neil, thank you, thank you, thank you. Two things. One, I don't have the money or the permits. I don't have the insurance. If you film on the street in New York City, it's not as bad as L.A., but as soon as you put sticks like a tripod on the ground, you, you need a city permit. You need to pay the police department to provide security. Um, I, you need insurance. I can't. So I'm like, no, I can't do that. I would need you to convince the Museum of Natural History, where the planetarium that he chairs is, to allow them, to, to convince them to allow me to film on their property. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with New York City's permitting uh -huh. bullshit. And I said, also, we need to do your interview in the next few days. Because uh, we're, we're yeah. locking it up. And that was one of the hardest emails I ever had to send because I'm like, Dang. I was now given this gift at 11 hours and 59 minutes and I'm going to flush it down the toilet with this really ballsy fucking reply. And I'm just like... Yeah. You got to keep it real though. I'm like, I got to send. And I was like, oh God, what did I just do? And you know... And a couple hours later, he emailed me back and it just said, done. Tuesday, I will give you up to an hour outside as long as it's at least 45 degrees Fahrenheit. I will give you an hour outside at the museum, CC the museum people. And I was like, son of a bitch. And then I had a day to find a crew. Ian had now already left in COVID to go back to LA. I had to find two people to operate two cameras that would film this with me and do it without getting paid. Because the ethos of the film was no one gets paid for anything. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. I don't get paid. No one gets paid. Even like I said, you know, all the Grammy winning musicians that help work on the score and the, everything is gratis. And um, within a day, I, I had um, uh, the people to film it with me. And two days later, there we were. In New York City, it was around 48 degrees or something. When you look at the film, this is how much of a badass Neil deGrasse Tyson is. You have no idea sitting across from him. You'll see me, you know, I'm in like a snorkel parker with the fur around the thing and the mittens. The cameramen are just, you know, all bundled up. And he's there without a jacket. He had a layer or two on, but comfortable as all hell. You would have no idea how goddamn cold it was. Um, and I interviewed Neil outside for about an hour. Wow, um, what a badass. And yeah, he's a badass. And by the way, one of the most genuine, sincere, kind, loving uh, people because... Uh, and... Did he have a connection to skateboarding? Yeah, it turned out he did, of course. Yeah, he couldn't be in the movie. Otherwise, he was a former skater. He used to skate uh -huh. as a kid. And um, in the credits of the film, there's a clip of him talking about how he hadn't been on a skateboard in years and talking about why... He has so much admiration and respect for skateboarding and for skateboarding. It's in the credits of the film, so people are going to love that. Uh, and I've posted that little clip on Instagram. And it, like, it went 
fucking viral. But um, the cool thing is about uh, Neil. I said, Neil, by the way, that skateboard, you can keep it, of course. It was a gift, but I w I'm hoping you would sign it and give it back to me for a charity auction because I'm going to have a massive charity auction I'm going to do. And, uh, and uh, he brought it to the interview. It's in the background when you know, you'll see it. And at the end of the interview, when he went to give it to me, because he said, I'll bring it and give it to you, of course, there was some trepidation as he like, tried to give it to me. And I'm like, Neil, do you, do you want to keep the skateboard? And he's like, well, it is a conversation starter. And I'm like, so I tell you what, I'm like, give me the skateboard. I'm going to make two more, one for you to sign, give to me, and I'll make one, and I'll, I can sign it and give it to you. Uh -huh. And so now there are three, one hanging in Neil's office, one hanging in my home studio, uh -huh. and one for the charity auction. Nice. Um, but when I brought it back months later for him to sign, I thought I would just literally have a minute with Neil. And um, this, is the, this is the type of person Neil is. Um, while with him, he read an Instagram post that I had made earlier about my story, how I lived this fear-based life and was depressed and I came out of it and made this film and started my children's foundation, the What Stops You, the Rory Foundation and mm. everything. And he read it and I thought he would just like glance over it and be like, oh, it's very nice. He read it like with such intent. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, he like, he said, expressed his, his, his pride that I had been able to get there, that I figured it out, that I did it. And he said, you know, your post and you remind me of the, the song, The Rose. Have you ever listened to that song and listened to the lyrics he said to me? And I'm like, by who? Um, it was from, um, from the movie, The Rose. I think it was, I think it was Bette Midler. Okay. Um, but the song was about getting over fear. In the context of the movie, it had to do with, I think, more about the fear of, um, you know, having love and lost versus never loved at all and stuff like that. But it was relatable and it was about someone overcoming fear. And, and he said to me, um, you know what? And I'm like, I do not. What? And he said, let's listen to it together. Uh -huh. And there I was in Neil's office sitting there. Um, he opened up his, his like Spotify or whatever he was on, streaming on his phone, whatever he had. And we sat together and listened to the song. And just I thought to myself, what in the fuck happened to my life like is this even real i'm sitting here with this hero of mine and he wants me to you know relate to this song with him and it was just so deeply meaningful and i i didn't want to be one of those people that like Neil, i'm gonna like not be present and film this but at, towards the end of it i'm like neil I, I need to capture this it's so meaningful to me and i just held my phone out and it caught him and that clip um as i turned around the elevator door opened and it like boom and i i laughed and that clip is also in the credits. That moment that I, I shared with Neil after, um, he's he's a special uh, he's a wow. special person. So beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for for sharing these uh, intimate stories with us. Yeah. Um, you said uh, uh, in this story that you know nobody gets paid in mm -hmm. your movie. Uh, That's correct. What does that mean? And if there's any money uh, made, if you ended up selling the movie to Netflix or HBO or whoever yeah, yeah. buys it, or whatever streamer, where does that money go? Mm -hmm. Tell me about the financials here. Sure. So um, I made it a condition for working with me on the film in any capacity, whether you were providing B-roll or archival footage or music, like the original score, uh, any anything 
whomever you are, if, you, if you're working on the film, um, you're doing animation, whatever, operating cameras, it was gratis. Not a back-end payment, not a delayed payment. I, I took a lot of in-kind services as support from a tremendous amount of amazing individuals and companies. And I'm, I want to recognize uh, that, and I want people to recognize that. I'm going to tell them what to do to do that. But um, if you couldn't work on this film with me for free, then it, it just wasn't the right project for you, either at all or maybe not at that time in your life. And so we all, we all worked on it as volunteers for free. And so that way, 100% of the revenue it generates, whether it's from streaming or from a distribution deal with HBO or whomever it may go to, from merch, all of my, not just profit, because it's all profit, 100% of the revenue in perpetuity will go to um, the What Stops You, the Rogue Foundation, which is a, in the United States, called a, a 501c3, which is recognized by the government as That's a, a tax-free charity. charity, yeah. And um, so when you donate to it, you can deduct that from your, your taxes in the U.S. anyway. And um, like the film itself, that foundation pays no salary. It pays no rent. It has virtually no expenses. Everything's donated. Um, and all, all the money will go there to help have a positive impact on children's lives, especially those and, and uh, living at or below the poverty line in underprivileged school districts. Um, the goal of that foundation is to help children avoid a life that I lived, which is being derailed by fear, guided by fear, to help children and young adults understand fear, how not uh, to let that control your life. Um, because, and this is so key, Chris, I believe this so firmly, that when you're living a life that is not satisfying because you feel like you're not where you want to be, whether you think that's because you're not making enough money or you're not in the profession that you want to be in or you're not at the level you want to be at in a given profession, whatever it is, when you feel like you're not satisfied with your life, it is really hard for a person like that to care about the lives of others. And even if they do, it's hard for them and less likely for them to actually take action to impact the lives of others in a positive way. It'll always be once I get my shit figured out, you know, then I'll help others. And so by helping people live a more fearless and fulfilling life uh, where they have more contentment uh, and I'm, I'm, you know it's it's more likely that those people will be in a position to want to and actually take action to impact the lives of the people around them whether it's in their family and friends their community their state their, their country globally and so there's a tremendous ripple effect in helping people not live fear-based lives and the foundation does that by sending speakers that could help talk to children and young adults at organizations and schools that would not otherwise be able to afford to pay for that speaker to come in and talk to them. And that's what the foundation does. So by the way, if anyone who's watching this, um, and I've, I've never asked anyone for money in the making of this film, not once. Um, but if you're watching this and you have financial means to make a donation to a charitable organization, and it's something you like to do, then please go to whatstopsyou.org uh, you can make a credit card donation or there's uh, information where you could send a check to help support that, that foundation because it does important work uh, in, helping, in helping people. So thank you and uh, appreciate the opportunity to plug that foundation. Yeah. And that's where, um, so hopefully we'll get a big fat distribution deal and we'll, that money will go to the foundation. But right now that foundation is starving and I have schools right now waiting for a speaker 
and I have approved them, but there's no money to mm. pay for even a speaker's travel. And I have speakers that get anywhere from you know eight hundred dollars, five hundred dollars to fifteen, twenty thousand dollars typically to, to to travel to a place like if they're doing a big keynote somewhere. I have speakers that are like, man, I, I'll. I will do it for free. Just pay for my, just pay for my expenses to yeah. get my ass over there and back home. Right. No charge. And I'm like, I don't need that foundation doesn't even have the money yeah. because of COVID it lost all its funding. And, um, and, uh, you know, so we, it needs a corporate sponsor now. So yeah, the foundation needs that money. Well, badly. I'll, I'll yeah. try to donate, uh, not as Chris Dyer, but as the galactic gang, cause the galactic gang, which is my NFT community, we mm -hmm. have some charity money oh. to allocate. And I'm always looking for like, where to pass it along which is aligned with me and my community so yeah. i'll talk with my people and see thank if we you. can send some thank you and i do yeah. want to reiterate i don't like i've never asked anyone involved in this film ever for a donation not even to the charity it was like um, I'm, I'm like reaching out to the people listening because some people listening are struggling to pay the bills like most of us but some people are fortunate they have money and they regularly donate to charities and i'm saying okay if you do that Oh, hey, consider 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 the foundation. Right. Well, you give if you can, if yeah. you have the means, yeah, and exactly. if you don't, you don't. And no, no guilt on that. It, it's like your foundation wants to fill the cups of others, so then they themselves can ten, can give. Yep. Uh, exactly. Seems like you've given a lot of yourself to this film, mm -hmm. not getting paid, giving lots of your time. You've given years of your life to this, yep. do this movie, and you're not even gonna make any money from it are okay. you filling up your cup enough so that you can give to others or is it your cup already overflowing just by the vibes that you can give and not get anything back and not need anything back yeah like i um people have often said to me like hey you need to eat too and i'm like i'm okay like i have a, a, a small business you know um it helps me pay the bills like things are tight now more than ever um, you know, definitely, definitely struggling more than I, than I, than I was, but, um, what I'm doing now for the first time in my life, not interpersonal relationships, not, you know, family and stuff, but I'm on a professional level. This is the first time in my life. I'm actually doing something I've wanted to do my entire life. And it's interesting because I'm like, well, no, I'm not making any money, but I think the goal of making money, at least for me, would be personal freedom to do the things I want to do in my life. And I'm like, I'm doing the things I want to do in my life. I don't have to make, look, I'd like to make a million dollars a day if I could. There's nothing wrong with making money. Um, but it just can't be the end all be all in motivation for everything I do. And even though I'm not getting paid on this project, um, I'm literally living in a fantasy world. I am when I thought of this, this, this project, when I conceived of it, you know, you have your, your idea of like, what could it actually be? You know, could it actually inspire people? Could it resonate with people? Could people, people want to see this? You know, you have like your reasonable expectations. You have your optimistic expectations. You have your crazy fantasy expectations that are so optimistic. You don't even tell anyone because it's humiliating. Like, dude, get your fucking feet back on the ground. Mm. And I'm like, this became higher than the highest of those levels. Mm. So far beyond. It's a Cinderella story. So, dude, so <laughs> far beyond. No 50-year-old, like, with no filmmaking experience, no connections. I never met a filmmaker. I never met a pro skater. I'm just going to make a movie at 50 and 
I have no funding, I have no money, I have no experience, I have no backing, and then this fucking global phenomenon happens. I'm I'm literally living in a state of just I'm living in a fantasy state. Well, you're an example yeah. that when you give, you get double. You know, when you're aligned with the most high, whatever you want to call it, and you're in service for love and giving vibes, then yeah, yeah. it backs you up and brings forth what you need and, and it rewards you with, you know, the energy you need to keep on being of service because more of that is needed on this planet. Yeah. And you're creating it through your foundation and through the movie. So congrats to you. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I, I want to add something to that because it's so important because I think a lot of people who are maybe not on like the spiritual plane and they're maybe not so optimistic or they're not so positive and they have have reasons to be pessimistic or or, or 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 you know not have such lofty ideals about what could be there's people like that in the world still there's a couple, couple, <laughs> a couple. but i don't ever want to come off as this person that is um just so out of touch with reality and tell people you just jump and the net will appear you know sometimes you have to jump and the net will appear and I, rec I recommend you take that jump and, and that net can appear after. And sometimes that's the only way you could do it. But I'm not saying the net will always appear. You can't go through and, and forge ahead and do this stuff knowing that it's going to pay out double or triple like it did for me. It might and it might not. I'm just saying it is worth the risk. You have to give yourself the chance. And... Um, I'm fortunate in that it did it did work out uh, beyond my wildest dreams and expectations. It may not always, but something happened, and this is so key. This was about uh, maybe halfway or three quarters through production. I don't, maybe I just shifted from production to post production, which is if you're not in the film business, that's like when you're actually filming and interviewing, and then post production. Now you're editing and, and doing all the stuff behind the scenes. But um, I had this realization that. The, the, the fear that I had had that I'd be 90 years old and be on my deathbed and being filled with shame because, as I said before, I had never had the courage to really even try and do the things that I, that I thought would make me happy, that I saw as my, my purpose in life, um, that I realized that no matter what happened with the film, if I didn't really finish it or if I finished it, it was a piece of dog shit and no one really watched it and it was an embarrassment, whatever it was, the fear of not having tried that fear was gone. That ship fucking sailed. Mm -hmm. I had did it. And I just let down. I just started just bawling. I was just crying. I was in my kitchen and I just was overwhelmed with this uh, sense of satisfaction and this joy and the realization that, that for the rest of my life, no matter what happened with this film, that shameful fear was gone forever. Mm. It was just vaporized. It was nullified. I did it. And so everything that happened from that point forward, that the film is finished, that it's being received the way it is around the world, that this iconic, amazing cast of people, uh, both uh, in front and behind the camera, joined it. It's all gravy. Yeah. And I will tell you this. There's way too many people um, to thank on this podcast, but... I encourage people, please um, go to humanitystoked.com um, and 
on the menu you could see the film's credits. I encourage people to go there and watch the, the film's credits. You could watch a video of it. You could also like scroll through the text of it to see all of the people that are involved in the production of the film with me. Um, and uh, you can also see um, on the supporter page of the website all of the companies and individuals that help make it happen by like, you know, Western Digital that provided thousands of dollars in digital storage and Zeiss that gave us, gave me a lens that was, you know, like thousands of dollars just for a single lens. And like, there, there's probably hundreds of companies mm. um, and individuals and they all deserve to be acknowledged. They, and um, if you're looking for someone in the business to work with um, and it's a paid gig, please go to humanitystoke.com and go to the credits and look, try and choose someone from that list because these are people that are talented and they have heart and they deserve to be recognized and they deserve to be given opportunities to potentially get paid for, for their, 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 their skill and their talent. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, please do that. And um, because it's, it's, not, it's, not just, it's not just me. There's, there's a ton of people involved. So well, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I feel so honored to be part of this project. So thank you so much for including me. Thank you, um, I want to talk about your audience. So okay. this movie obviously is a skateboard documentary or a documentary that, you know, has skateboarding as its, you know, focal pillars or uniting glue. And, um, and there's lots of skateboard documentaries out there that uh, record the history of skateboarding. We got the Dogtown documentary. We yeah. got the Steve Rocco 90s documentary. We got the, you know, Bones Brigade documentary. We got a number of skateboard documentaries. This is a very different one uh, that probably will appeal to anybody, may they be a skateboarder or not, which is right. really great. Yeah. But still, you are um, you have skateboarding as a center point of this thing. Yes. From my personal experience, skaters can be lovers and probably got all the lover skaters in, in the film, but there's also a lot of haters. Skaters are very protective of their culture because yeah. so many... Uh, aspects of society just likes to throw a skateboard in the mix and now you're cool just because yeah. you got a, a skateboarder so yeah. there's a lot of haters too and they're like you know who are you to grab my culture in a appropriation kind of way and and um, you know milk it for your benefit or the benefit of your thing I know I'm not saying that that's what you're doing but some skaters could come at you that way yeah you know how do you feel when some skaters might probably like push you back because you're not the right kind of skater yeah. or, 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 you know, like what's your relation? So this, this is my question. Uh, you know, what's your relationship with skateboarding? You know, sure. are you a skater is what somebody yeah. would, would ask you. And, you know, uh, what's your level of comfort interacting with this culture, you know, to bring forth your message, which goes past skateboarding. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. I am largely, and the film is largely immune to that unless you're an ignorant idiot. And I'll tell you why. And I, for those people that want to, you know, have that approach with me, um, I'm happy for them to go fuck themselves. I, I have not really experienced that. And I'll tell you why. One, a few points that are really important to understand here. Um, one, I'm a lifelong skater. I've been skating since 1974-ish, give or take. So, like, 
my feeling like if I want to hold my board by the trucks as I, you know, walk down the street because it's more comfortable for me and you think you're going to step up and tell me that I'm doing some type of mall grab, if I want to hold the board between my ass cheeks, that's my fucking business. <laughs> I don't I mean, go, who the fuck are you? I've who been made that rule that yeah. you can grab your board yeah. by the trucks? It's so much more comfortable. What right. is this? Well, you know, if you're holding it by the nose and you can, it's more efficient. To throw, and I'm like, Dude, I'm just taking a walk. I'm not trying to, you know. <laughs> Enough fronting here. Yeah, like, give me, I don't, I don't give a shit. You, you go fuck off. Like, it's, you're laughable to me. Um, having said that, I do understand and respect that, that hardcore skaters um, resent the co-opting of their or our culture. I get it. I get it. Um, so I'm not saying you're, you're wrong to resent the co-opting of it, the disingenuous co-opting of it. I get it. I'm just saying I'm not making a film about skateboarding. And I'm not saying we're the real fucking skateboarders. I'm just saying this is not what this film is. This is a film about human issues and everyone in it is connected to skateboarding. And so it's really on the it's really like adjacent to that issue. It's not like we're saying we're the cool skateboarders. We're just saying, hey, if you're in this film, you are a skater, a former skater, we have a love of skateboarding, it's a common thread, but we're not even talking about skateboarding. And so um, if anyone in the film thinks, oh, the, the film isn't cool enough or whatever, well, okay, guess don't see it. I don't care. But I know that I made a film that's not um, uh, for skateboarders. It is for human beings. If you're on Earth and you are a human being, this film is for you. And of course, the skateboarding has a built-in audience because these are the heroes of skate. These are the skating's most iconic figures through the decades you know, um, and so, yeah, skateboarders are going to love this. I have not yet had any of that experience. I haven't had anyone come to me and say that because it's not like I'm some Hollywood dude. And now all of a sudden I'm going to decide to make a skateboarder movie. You know, mm -hmm. I've been a skateboarder for longer than most people. Um, I'm 56. Yeah, there are guys in their 60s, 70s and 80s that skate. But I mean, for the most part, yeah, if you want to step up to me and tell me I'm not a skateboarder, you know. I, you're a joke to me. And I ask myself and I ask people, like, why are you skating? Like, do you, are you skating because um, you want people to know how cool you are? Are you skateboarding because you want to make yourself feel cool? Or are you skateboarding for the reason that I skateboard? I just love skateboarding. Yeah. And I'm not even that great. I'm not like, I'm, I was never really into street skating. And I only learned to skate transition invert until I didn't even, I, the first time I was ever on a ramp, I was 52. I built a, 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 a 40 foot, 16 foot wide, 40 foot long, uh, eight foot tall half pipe in my backyard uh, that was based on a, like a six foot ramp tech kit that I bought used and then blew it out, put a roll in on one side and um, you know, I didn't even learn that type of skating until, and by the way, I didn't learn transition invert until I was in my fifties because I was scared. And when I moved from New York to Southern California for two years, when I was 10 years old, I saw Tony Alva in skateboarder magazine, uh, you know, photographs of him by Glennie Friedman. Again, unfathomable that both Friedman and Alva would be in a movie I would make mm -hmm. bizarro, but <laughs> I didn't ask my mom to take me to the skate park because I was afraid I wasn't cool enough. I felt intimidated. What a fucking shame. A whole life of a different type of skateboarding mm. I could have been involved in 
Not yeah. that I ever would have became pro, but I mean, how much joy would I have had that I cheated myself yeah. out of because I was afraid of being judged at a skate park? What an idiot. Right. You know? Well, the issues that your movie is trying to tackle yeah. about fear and issues of the whole world also are being tackled in skateboarding, maybe not so directly, yeah. but what were the issues of the world of judgment, yeah. of insecurities, of fear, right. are very present in skateboarding. To have right. one group of skateboarders be like, oh, we're the right kind of skater and you're the wrong kind of skater. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, we're all skaters. Let their boards be long, short, whatever yeah. shape. Let's just have fun here, please. Yeah. Do you know how many people, and by the way, I so like when I skate now, when I travel, I always have my regular, it's like a regular popsicle. I think I have a eight and a quarter deck, you know, 33. But I love longboarding too. I love e-boarding. I love all types of skateboarding. But I have so many people when they skateboard and they tell me about it, if they're long, they're like, well, I'm not a skateboarder. I'm this or I'm not, yeah, I ride this kind of, and I'm like, dude, you're a skateboarder. I don't care if you're street, you're transition, longboarding, whatever it is, dude, you're, you're, skate, you're skateboarding and you're a skateboarder. And the problem I have with people, and again, I acknowledge, I resent too if somebody or some company suddenly just co-ops it and presents themselves as skaters when they're not. I get it. But at the same time, when people say skateboarding should not be in the Olympics or that's not skateboarding, that's what you're doing, you know, the problem I have with it is this. What that means is for them to be right, it means one person or one group owns skateboarding. And they have the right to define it. And right. I don't want anybody to own and define skateboarding. Right. This is a, this is a form of artistic self-expression. Right. And it is not my fucking business to tell someone else, you can't skate the way you want to skate, or you can, but you don't get credit for being a skateboarder. Or that's not skateboarding. Right. Or you don't belong here. Or if someone wants to get on a board with four wheels and push and do what they want to do on it, I am fucking happy that they want a skateboard. Yeah. I'm happy for them. I don't I don't need to own it. I don't need to control it. And I don't need to respect anyone else's uh, feeling that they should. Right. Again, I, I don't like co-opting any culture, whether you're Native American culture, black culture, any culture. I you know, I'm not down with the co-opting of that. That's just that's that's fucked up. I get that. But there's there's a place between that and thinking you own and get to define what skateboarding is for other people. Mm. And that I am not down with. Well, for me, skateboarding is about freedom, right. self-expression, maybe even being a rebel against society and doing something that is not allowed many times. And then as skateboarding grows with time, it's calcified a little bit with like, oh, now there's some rules. Now there's the right way. Now I'm right. going to put some walls around it. So yeah. it, it's it, sometimes it's doing the opposite of what it's supposed to be doing, liberating us, uh, allowing us to express ourselves with however the fuck we are. And that's a pity. So I think this movie will help defragment that, you know, yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be like an antivirus being like, hey, can we just all just be whatever the fuck we are yeah. without judgment? Yeah. Let's drop this fucking judgment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm with you 100%, man. And by the way, uh, I have a couple of different types of, of e-boards, electric skateboards and long boards. Um, and I love that. And for me, that is a form of, of meditation because what happens is if I can get out on some virgin blacktop and I'm just for an hour, I'm just, I'm not pushing. So I'm in this kind of um, flow state where I'm just carving. I'm just in this flow state and it's 
really grounding for me. And like, it's one of the few things I could do on my life where my thoughts stop. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just present and grounded in that moment, in that flow state. And it's a beautiful experience for me. It's calming, it's healing. Um, if you want to tell me I'm not skateboarding at that time, I think you're an idiot. But, you know, it's not for me to tell anyone else. And again, I, I love all types of skateboarding. And um, and as a, a quick tangent, um, there's a, I have a friend of mine who's in the cast who uh, produced and directed another skateboarding doc that I recommend. It's not out yet. It's on the verge of being released right now. So I don't know when this is going to air. But Google Virgin Blacktop, which is a, a beautiful documentary, um, another skateboard film. Uh, and it's about a, a group of uh, uh, kids that formed this kind of club years ago. Um, and uh, they were called the Wizards in, 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 uh, in New York. Mm. And the documentary, Charlie Samuels is a photographer and is a filmer. And um, he has a lot of iconic photos. He has stuff in Thrasher, a lot of stuff with Harold Hunter um, from back in the day. But um, it's this kind of beautiful film that follows the path of these kids and the Wizards they're now like in their 50s or 60s and it's like it follows their whole life through and it's just a very heartwarming beautiful film so yeah check out nice. uh virgin blacktop cool cool film and uh charlie samuel's a great uh great guy i love anything skateboarding yeah, you know yeah. like I, I love the culture of skateboarding um as i have just turned 44 and my knee you know is on shaky grounds <laughs> it becomes harder and harder to like you know shred or whatnot i never want to stop skateboarding but it has a dear place in my heart if i could if i had to stop skateboarding perhaps to like be respectful towards my artist's hands yeah. i would never stop being a skateboarder in my heart you know so i understand that skateboarding transcends even the act of skateboarding as you get older it's just how it is and we shouldn't uh you know limit ourselves in our uh personal perception of who we are and who who's our authentic, authentic self. So, you know, let me congratulate once again for this beautiful movie. I want to ask you, now that you've done your first movie and it was a success, or, you know, it's a success already, even just in the film festivals. Yeah, and once you. it comes out, who knows how big it will yeah, be and you. you'll make me a superstar in relationship <laughs> to it. Um, but uh, do you plan to do more movies? Do yeah. you plan to continue following this path of self-expression and creation? Yeah, that, like I said, this was, this was my dream to be a filmmaker. I'd love to be able to, to have a career uh, doing uh, other films. And for a year since the premiere in Finland, um, which the film wasn't really fully done yet, but I'm often asked that, you know, what's your next film? And I've always said the same thing. I've, I've waited, you know, you know, 40, 50 years to get here. I just want to exist in this moment and be present and not worried about what I'm doing next. When I cross this finish line, when I get the film across the finish line, which we're right there, um, which is to lock the distribution deal and then hand it off to whomever, whether it's HBO or Netflix or you know Hulu, whatever. Um, yeah, then I'll think more about having said that, I did only just a couple of weeks ago for the first time realize what film I want to make next, if it, if it is not a narrative, if, if it's a documentary, what that would be about. Um, and so uh, it, it feels good. It took me a long time because I realized um, how much work um, and it's not the hours that you have to put in, which is unfathomable. I've done days where you're working like 18 hours and it's like, it's the, it's the, the amount it's anyone can put 18 hour days in, whether you're digging ditches or you're, 
you know, reading through a charts uh, in, in the financial world, whatever it is, anyone could work hard. But in, in an art form, the amount of like passion and heart and soul that has to go into those hours, you could phone it in like any other job, but you're going to produce a piece of shit. And I, to have that level of passion for those days, for that amount of years, it is not sustainable unless it's a subject matter that you care deeply, deeply about. Mm-hmm. And so that was the struggle for me. Um, you know, what subject needs to have its story told that hasn't been told yet by a million people mm-hmm. that I'm passionate enough about to make that level of, of, of dedication sustainable over the production of a film, which takes a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of narrowing that down to, to where I want to be. So, um, Do you have ideas? You'd rather not give it in. Yeah, I, 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 yep. What, I what would be some subject matter for future movies for you? Um, it, it has to do with the um, the uh, the division that's being sowed um, amongst people in the world. That's a very not, important issue. <laughs> not just in politics. Um, it politics is a, is a big part of that, of course. Right. Um, on, on both sides of it, but it, generally speaking, just throughout humanity, the, the vision that's being sowed, the reasons why, the ramifications of that, and to and to explore that in a, in a unique kind of way, because there really aren't any subjects that you could think of to make a documentary about that probably isn't already made or currently in production or will be tomorrow, just because the advent of digital technology kind of dropped the barriers to filmmaking down for a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to find an original subject that's never been told before. Uh, so the key is how do you tell a story in a way that's unique enough to, to, to make it interesting to people and in a way that it could connect with people on an emotional level. That's the key. Um, and, and you need also talented people to work with you from your, your, you know, cinematography to to everything else. It, it, it it has to be done in in a way that's special. That's an important subject matter, yeah. the, the division. I feel right now that the only way we will succeed at whatever the topic is, maybe the environment or, or, or wars or whatever, is if we realize that we're all one at the core. Yeah. And sure, we could all do documentaries uh, recording what has happened, but I think you will go more to the root of things, the psychological yeah, yeah. Uh, seed that is creating this division. And perhaps yeah. if we can heal that, then we have yeah. medicine to heal everything that sprouts from it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, that's one important aspect and angle of it. And there's a lot of different angles and aspects of it. They all need to be exposed and explored and talked about um, to hopefully be able to come away with an understanding so that they could help shape the future in a way that that's with intent as opposed to... Because like, I don't want to tell people where this world is going to end up. Whatever happens in this world, like... It's not for me to say, but what I hope, and this is so key, is that wherever we end up, whether the whether global sea levels rise by an inch or 10 feet in the next 100 years, or whether there's extreme shortages of food and, and, um, and a, a clean water for people to drink, even in first world countries, it's not for me to tell people where we're supposed to end up, but what I hope is that wherever we end up, we end up there in that position with intent, not because of ignorance or happenstance or fear. And then we're in a fucking shit show 
and um, paying a steep price because no one had their hands on the wheel or people had their hand on the wheel, but they were fucking idiots being guided by greed and fear right. and, and all types of, of um, personal issues that mm. uh, are, have the potential to take society and humanity and all the other life forms on a planet with us has the potential to send us down a fucking rabbit hole from which we may or may not even be able to return. You're talking about potentially not only mass uh, starvation and um, you're talking about the potential for nuclear uh, war, uh, nuclear winter. You're talking about massive climate change, not the shit we're experiencing now where the tornadoes are more frequently and the hurricanes and the typhoons on the other part of the world are, are, are more intense. You're talking about more serious ramifications that can happen in 50 years or 100 years that will be very difficult to return from. Not impossible, but for some people, impossible because they will be dead. You know, extinction, not only of certain species of life on the planet, but um, just mass, mass casualties, loss of human life as well. Mm. Um, so there's real potential for um for damage if we don't get our shit together and stop focusing on like the immediate short term and i'm not this hippy dippy kind of oh well yeah we got to focus on you know everyone's fair and all this stuff i'm like yeah i understand that you know people are, are um need to continue on the path they are you know there's a capitalist society and i'm not saying we have to shun it completely i don't necessarily have a problem with capitalism um capitalism can work I have a problem with greed and fear that could turn capitalism into a fucking runaway freight train. Mm. And um, that's, I think, what we're starting to see now. Um, and people have their eye on this really short-term immediate prize without a concern for the price that's going to have to be paid decades down the line, 50 years down the line, 100 years down the line. We are really on the, on the cusp of some pretty serious uh, ramifications. Right. And um, hopefully enough of us will recognize that. And Neil deGrasse Tyson in Humanity Stoked talks a little bit about that, about he said something to me while I was interviewing him and I was like, oh shit, this is some serious choir preaching dude because I've been saying this for years that I have said this so often. So when Neil said it, I was like, you know, fucking right on, man. Um, I believe so firmly that in a short period of time, people are going to look back on our current generation um, so embarrassed by how short-sighted we were, how, how much we let greed and our short-term needs to feel like we're good enough and have enough, um, that you're going to look back the way we look now on slavery, for example, or before uh, OSHA um, in the United States, which is a... Um, uh, a body of government that regulates safety protocols for employees. Um, you know, like when, you know, you could just hire someone and like send them up on some scaffolding without any safety gear and they would drop dead. Or you look back at like the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire where there were no, there were no regulations that prevented, uh, that they didn't prevent people from burning in a building. There were fire escapes that were required. Doors could not be locked. You know, and it's like, we look back on certain things now when we were like, what the fuck were we thinking of? Like, were we insane? Were we evil? Were we just, what the fuck? And people are going to look back on some of the decisions that we're making now with that same level of shock and, and, uh, disbelief. and horror and disbelief at how ignorant we were. So, yeah, hopefully enough people will realize that. Well, you've caught my interest about your next movie, even though you haven't even started <laughs> with it. I don't think there's... Uh... 
a bigger topic to talk about. Like yeah. if you're gonna yeah. put years of your life into any topic, yeah. might as well be a topic yeah. that really helps us all evolve as humanity and saves us from our own demise. Yeah. Uh, that's how I feel about like my paintings. If I'm gonna spend yeah. like six months painting something, it yeah. better be something worth talking about not just some cool trippy shit that that people might like yeah well you also want to make it cool and trippy too well you do some (laughs) cool fucking trippy shit i love your art man so Uh, there's value in that just on that there is value i I love i love what you do man but it has to talk about how we're evolving as humanity and how are we producing medicine for the people Mm -hmm. for us to become a better version of humanity and i believe the positive timeline exists yeah and efforts like your movies movie and movies will help activate more and more the vibration needed to uh, expand consciousness to the point where it's like oh shit we're doing these bad things let's stop now and let's move forward and create the world that makes more sense so thank you so much michael thank you thank you man i so appreciate you being here my Um, home yeah thank you for having me uh real quick if i can just say one thing uh for people if you do want to support us um, and you don't have the means to support the, the Children's Foundation financially, you could help. It doesn't cost you a dime. Uh, follow Humanity Stoked on social media and you know, like, share, comment on the post. As we go to distribution, the, the greater amount of followers we have and the engagement with our fans uh, will help secure the best distribution deal. That means more people can see the film and it means potentially the more money that's given to us for the film and that money goes to impact people's lives. Uh, all around us so uh, that's how you can help uh so thank you so much chris thank you so much for being in the film Hell for yeah. being my friend and for having me uh in your home yeah much love, my pleasure man we all gotta help each other out and i hope you guys also enjoyed this interview make sure to smash that like button i hate saying that Uh, (laughs) press the like button comment anything you thought about this interview share it with whoever think will enjoy this you know subscribe if you haven't yet and the you know the notification buttons i don't even know what to ask you here the point is please support this project of beautiful conversations I'm having with beautiful people like Michael. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. Blessings. Woo! Next episode, Random Rap. Finding different ways to tap into different emotions. And I feel like for me, it's a, pro- a way to process grief and joy and and you have this like magic moments and by yourself and where you're kind of like it's like a cycle of feeding what do i want to listen to i have to create it i'm feeling better it's feeling good 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 and get to this point where i'm really enjoying it and then i know at this point that if i really love the song that other there's going to be people out there that like it too and that's just a really incredible feeling so please make sure to subscribe like comment and share Big thanks and see you next episode. Peace.